Hi everybody, Stephen St. Clair here. Get ready for part two of mine and Sadie's interview with my brother and sister-in-law, Christina. What was their story? In getting to, in talking to the owner of the bed and breakfast, she was telling us um, that the children, um, they have prayer time and they pray for their families. And they pray that, so the, this happened to be a private orphanage. We didn't get to pick. It mm -hmm. was all picked by the system. Um, but this happened to be a private orphanage. It was a Catholic orphanage and it was all girls and um, which is quite different from like a state orphanage down there um, so the owner of the bed and breakfast was saying they have prayer time they pray for their families and that each person will find a family and that they'll get the right family and um, they are seen by a psychologist to evaluate things and they are asked or at least the paperwork says that they are asked, do you want to have a family? Do you want to be adopted? And apparently each of them had answered yes. Of course, this is the same thing we've heard from other families too, right. and it's documented. Mm -hmm. And it's not the only thing that's documented. There's just so many interactions with the kids that are documented. Mm -hmm. um, so their prep was at least where they were knowing that they were praying for a family. Mm -hmm. Also, we were required to send um, a photo album. And then when time came closer to travel, we had to update that photo album so that they had current pictures of us so that hopefully they would recognize us. Mm -hmm. um, I think they had seen other kids go through this. And so they knew probably you know, okay, they're going to spend some time on my hair. Right. Because really, I mean, they had put those teeny tiny braids in and all all the things. It took a long time just to take it out when it was time. Um, they, they understood. You could tell they understood what was going on by the way they walked in the room. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they were nervous. And our oldest tried to be so brave, and she was so brave. And she walked through that door with confidence. Mm -hmm. There was a miscommunication on the translation of the paperwork, and we were told she might be more clingy to the mom, to me. And that was not the case. She literally, she walked straight past me. I don't even know if she looked at me. She was the first <laughs> one in the door. Straight to Paul. She went straight to Paul. Really? Sat on his lap, showed him her doll. I think she had a doll with her, or mm -hmm. a backpack, and she was trying to chat with him in Spanish. And the second one walks in, and she is shy, apprehensive, holding the tears back. She's only four. Mm -hmm. She's the size of a two- or three-year-old. These girls are just tiny. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're malnourished. They're just little people. And um, she was just so nervous. You know, she did come to me, but I'm a stranger. Mm -hmm. But she did it. And then the little one, she was two, and you know, here she is seeing her two big sisters come in. She can't even hardly, doesn't even know what family is, probably. Right. 
Right. And the only family she has, she's had in the orphanage. Yeah. And, you know, she's crying and unsure, but she lets us hold her and um, just does her best at two. Mm-hmm. That's asking, it's asking so much. They're, yep. they're amazing. That's a lot of strength. Yeah. It is. Yep. Okay, um, you guys are back stateside. Um, walk us through what that looked like. You are now on your turf. The girls were also on your turf. Did By the time you guys come home, were you guys close? Was there still some distance? We had intimidation. We had a lot of time within the country to mm -hmm. to bond, you know. And we had a language barrier too to to overcome, and so uh, we spoke some Spanish, you mm -hmm. know. And they didn't speak any English, you know. They might have known a word. Or, I think they, they had the oldest could count to ten. Yeah, you could tell they were. Colors. They mm -hmm. were as soon as they knew. I think they were starting to work on some basic words mm -hmm. at the orphanage to help them. And but I mean, yeah, it, but. The language barrier really wasn't that big of a deal for you know when when you have kids that are that young their their vocabulary isn't that big so true it just took us a little true. while to learn keywords yep. <laughs> keywords and phrases to get us by mm -hmm. and so you know for the first few weeks we're learning Spanish to 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 communicate to them and then when we came back it switches you know mm -hmm. where we stop learning the spanish and then it's then you need to learn english. they're learning yeah. english so it kind of yeah. switches you know so there's there's yeah. this curve you know where mm -hmm. we're talking now and okay now it's their turn yeah. and so that so it was nice having that opportunity in the country to kind of work through that and you know work on relationships with them personally and then coming back was just amazing because we had let everybody know what flight we were on, all that stuff, mm -hmm. and so we were at the airport, and it was the at the gate. There was I don't even know how many people. Thirty or more. We had. I had family coming from literally out of state. All everybody who could come came. Friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had banners up. Yeah. Her mom. I mean, they had made these banners. It was awesome. So we walk into this gigantic crowd of people. After being on this long flight, we were all exhausted. And, I mean, but we walked in, and it was so refreshing to just see everybody. Mm -hmm. And the girls, you know, they're Colombian. They they loved it. They're attention getters, you know. <laughs> and so they had family, and they were just smothered, you know. Uh -huh. And so we were st stood at that gate forever. And it was awesome just to see people and then to Have introduce it. The tribe waiting yeah, for you. Yeah, it to was it was amazing. Yeah. And we went home that night, and the, uh, a lot of the family just came with us mm -hmm. home. Yeah. And we yeah. were it was like eleven o'clock probably <laughs> yeah. by the time we got home. It was snow on the ground too, yeah. and we were driving home. We were <laughs> we were all, the snow. We were all sunburnt and like yeah. red, and walking in to, to snowy day here in Kansas City. But, but we got home and. We, ordered a bunch of pizzas and people ate late and, mm -hmm. and we put the girls to bed that night and we just had a lot of family time at that time mm -hmm. just introducing the girls to family had a tribe. and yeah. all that stuff which Clan. was awesome and people supported us and it was it was amazing mm -hmm. it was a wonderful experience yeah. so 
Okay, so you guys are now home. You're a family of five. Well, at that time we were a family of five. five. Yes. So But this is when we have our best conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, so not we're trying, just getting started. Not trying to reveal the next chapter, but what were some early lessons as parents? Your home, your stateside, you're on your own turf. What were some early parenting lessons that were like hard? Were, were there some easy no-brainers? Or was it just you had to wipe the slate clean because you didn't know anything? I'll let her start and then I'll fill in. <sighs> There's a lot of lessons and they oh, all feel huge. Like, okay, so I feel like I had spent a lot of time with kids that age growing up. I mm-hmm. babysat kids. There were kids that age at our church, stuff like that. Um, I had a niece and a nephew that I had loved on since they were born and at the time I think they were like 12 and 15 now or something like that when our kids came home and I tell you what it it, yeah we I had to learn oh okay so at four years old you don't write your name okay I guess we learned that in kindergarten okay that's fine we can do that but Mm -hmm. I had that expectation or I also had the expectation that now we're family, so now we operate like a family, but that was only my view of what family was. Mm-hmm. They didn't know, and here I had made this assumption that they would know what that would look like, and they would just want to participate in that. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case. We're still strangers to them at that point. A hard thing for me was trying not to treat them the same, you know? They're mm-hmm. different development stages, but for me, they're they're brand new. Right. <laughs> you know? It was like bringing three newborns it, it, home because you're starting off at day one. It's like, okay, you have a two-year-old, you have a four-year-old, yep. and you have a six-year-old. Yep, but I brought all to, my babies home at one time. And, and trying to figure out, okay, where are you at, where are you at, where are you at? Yeah. You know, how do yep. I treat you? You're on a swivel constantly. Yeah, it's like, well, and you're trying to figure out personalities and what people like and don't like it. Who's going to cause trouble and who's not? <laughs> yeah, we and as they're still fast. sheltered yeah. with I mean, any trauma, personalities. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So they're still sheltered with any trauma yes. they might have brought with them too that is not even being exposed yet. So maybe their true personalities weren't even being developed yet. I'll tell I'll know? tell a little bit of a funny story of, of just something goofy that would happen is someone was mysteriously hitting buttons on the thermostat, you know. I'd be like, why is the thermostat, why, how is this temperature keep changing on here? I was like, I know one of them's doing it. <laughs> and so I started with the youngest, and I grabbed her hands. I was like, okay, she can't reach the thermostat. <laughs> <laughs> and the next one, yeah, she can't reach the thermostat either. I was like, it's got to be the oldest. <laughs> so I narrowed it down. And it was so funny. I brought her over there, and I was like, did you do, you know, oh, no. And I'm like, well. Well, somebody did, and I was like, she can't reach, she can't reach, and, you know, and the deer in the headlight looked up, I am you know, it was so funny, it was uh-huh. one of those moments, first moments of catching them right handed, uh-huh. you know, and, and she was just like, oh, you could just see it on her face, uh-huh. and, oh, he outsmarted me. <laughs> Parenting to a It was so funny. It was just one of those funny (laughs) early things to catch, you Mm -hmm. know. And it was a it was a funny moment. (laughs) 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 Something it was nice. It was something simple, like just the 
changing the set point mm-hmm. on the drumstick. Yeah. But yet, Dad's watching. That's right. <laughs> yeah, where was the ring cameras back then when you needed it? Yeah, right. So, you're home, you're established. Life changes again. A few years later, a curveball is thrown at you. Something yep. changes. Yeah, there's a big change. So, in going through this adoption process, and even though we had said we want one child to start with, and then we said, okay, we'll take up to three children, um, when it came time for that youngest one to start going to kindergarten, you know, um, I was really, I just didn't feel done. Mm-hmm. I did not feel done. I wanted more kids. I had told Paul I want three or five kids, and we said, well, let's pray about adoption. You know, let's see if we're supposed to adopt again. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even question it the first time because we were going to have kids, and that's mm-hmm. how we were going to do it. But this time, let's find out. Because then you have to consider, is this best for my kids? Mm-hmm. If I bring another child in here, how's it going to change things? And so would you be able to do one again, or are you doing multiple right. again? And right. And yep. can we wait that long yep. and all that kind of stuff? And raise money again? All that yeah, who yep. would want to help us raise money again? Mm-hmm. Um, and we prayed about it for a bit, a couple months, and the answer, when we came to talk about it, I was like, I just don't feel like the answer's yes. I just feel like the answer's no, and I don't know why, and I'll do my best to be okay with that. I don't feel settled. Did you guys have another be still moment? Um, Well, in that moment, it was, to me, it felt like God was saying, just let it be. Just, look, I've, I've given you three beautiful children, and that's, that's where you're at and Mm -hmm. you know right now I'm gonna tell you no and I was okay with that I was disappointed but I was okay with it because I did feel like I had an answer Mm -hmm. and I didn't have to linger and we both felt like the answer was no it wasn't just one of us it was Mm -hmm. both of us after prayerful consideration was like I just don't feel like we're supposed to do it again yeah and then so I you know I have PCOS Uh, I hope this isn't TMI for anyone my cycle is not regular. I never know when it's going to come or whatever. I mean, it's just really oddball. And um, so I was, uh, I finally had all of the kids in school. The youngest was in kindergarten. And so I went to work. I, um, I had started a business and then I stopped it. And then I went to work as contract labor for one of the other clients. And um, that's kind of beside the point. But by that point, I had been calling my my doctor, my OBGYN, every month to say, hey, you know, I don't feel right. I I haven't started. And they'd be like, take a pregnancy test. And if it's negative, then we'll call in a prescription for you. And this happened for so many months. I mean, like six months, 10 months, it was a long time. And so I did my monthly call this time, and I I literally, I remember standing at work and rolling my eyes and going, this is so stupid. I'm tired of spending money on this. They know Mm -hmm. I'm not pregnant. Just call in my prescription. Mm -hmm. It's been six to ten months straight. Just call it in. I didn't say that, but that's what I felt like. 
So I'm like, whatever, I'll just go to Dollar Tree and pick up a test. And so I, you know, I do that, I go home and Paul's downstairs working on the furnace or something and <laughs> the kids are down there watching TV and I remember it's Spongebob so doesn't have to be part of the story but I just remember it vividly <laughs> and I'm standing there and Spongebob has a pet worm I forget what he names it Mr. Worm or something like that and I'm like oh that's funny and it turns out Spongebob has baby or the worm has babies so Mr. Worm is now Mrs. Worm and I'm like well that's kind of <laughs> silly I mean I like Spongebob it was funny <laughs> it just made me laugh and I think I was I think while I was waiting for that pregnancy test those three or five minutes or whatever is when I went down there and watched that and I come up and the test is positive and I about I mean I think I had to sit down like I, I sat down in the bathroom in a not quite a panic but almost a panic because we weren't gonna have any more kids uh-huh. we thought the answer was no yeah and so I was nervous about how Paul would feel about it are you game for doing this we're gonna I guess we're going to have a baby is what this one test says. What are we going to do? And because it's biological, how's that going to affect our kids? It mm -hmm. just terrified me to think about them feeling put aside or something or like they're not as important or not as special or whatever. I never wanted that for mm -hmm. them. Um, so, yeah, life changed in three to five minutes of Spongebob. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you you have you have a timer set, whatever, and you go back upstairs and you you look at the the stick. Mm -hmm. Was there a delay or was it like okay? Paul, get and then now. <laughs> and then you now have a choice. You're like, do I just set this aside and consider it a false pot or whatever, or do you do you go to my brother and like? Um, we need to talk. <laughs> I think that's pretty much how it went. I think I went down there terrified. Did you throw it at him? No. I <laughs> what did you do? I, I was like, I think you need to come upstairs or something. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? I'm a little busy right now. I don't remember. We need ten more of these. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. We're going to test again. Yeah, I was like, we need a confirmation. As we need nine more confirmations. I'll be back. I'm running to the store right now. Mm -hmm. I'm getting I think the most expensive. a variety of them. Actually. <laughs> yeah, I probably picked up. I'm a, getting the most expensive gold-plated. Yeah, I'm like, how guaranteed are these? Right. I want the one with the highest character. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a positive. Mm -hmm. When did that reality kick in? I never let it kick in until the baby was born. I were you worried about that? We were scared. Yeah, to we death were scared. That I would mm -hmm. lose the baby. Yeah. I had um, baby showers and we had set up the nursery again. Paul and our oldest daughter and us had spent over 40 hours painting this nursery by hand. And I, was, I had all these gift bags in there. And I was like, I don't know if I should even cut the tags off this stuff because what if, what if she doesn't come? You know, and I don't want to go through this loss. I don't want to put the hope out there to have it taken away and not be real. So for me, it wasn't until she was born 
and I knew she was okay, that it was real. I mean, nothing yeah. about it felt real to me. Here, but I just everything wouldn't let it. Too. I loved her to pieces, mm-hmm. but I just yeah felt like I had to protect yeah. myself from potential hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was difficult, especially for the first couple trimesters. You know, of mm-hmm. get uh, the first trimester, of course, it's like. Can we get through that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that to me, I think for me personally, once we got through the first trimester, I took, I took a little bit of a, okay, okay, we yeah. made it through One the first trimester. Yeah. You know, you're starting to feel kicks here and there, those mm-hmm. kind of things that were exciting and almost afraid to move at some point. experienced mm-hmm. bubble wrap or yeah. so, but yeah, that was a pretty, pretty crazy time for sure. Mm-hmm. So, baby's born, you're all. Happy, healthy, hunky dory. Then what? <laughs> well, so I had, um, I hadn't cycled yet. Sorry for people, that's too much information. It, but so after, when I was pregnant, I had developed a cyst, and they could see that in the ultrasounds of the baby. And they said, so like five or six weeks after you deliver, we're going to have to do laparoscopic surgery and remove these cysts unless they like reabsorb or whatever rupture which please god don't let them rupture because i don't want to go through that pain Mm -hmm. and um so they i thought it was five to six weeks yeah i was that's what they told me so i had to go in and have surgery outpatient Mm -hmm. surgery and then um is that right was it that soon after i'm trying to remember i feel like it was with this anyway um so I cycled once um, after about six months uh, after the baby was born. And then I didn't cycle again, and that was normal for me, you know, based on my diagnosis. Um, but what wasn't normal was with, with the pregnancy, one of my first signs, I didn't even know this was a symptom of being pregnant, was I would be brushing my teeth and I would just gag. <laughs> so bad. Like every night. And I'm like, what is going on? And then also we used to go to coffee every Monday night while our kids were at this class and I didn't want to drink coffee anymore. And I was like, that is so weird. And then further along in the pregnancy, I wanted to lay on my back. I do not sleep on my back. I don't like it. I'm a side sleeper. But through a lot of that pregnancy, I had to fight not to sleep on my back because that's mm-hmm. what my body wanted to do. So then after this baby's born, it's been six months, and, you know, I cycle once and don't cycle again, even before it's time for me to cycle that second time. I'm having urges to lay on my back, and I'm going, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm not pregnant. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then once I gave in to that, after a few days of that, I had this urge to put my hands on my belly. Like, you know, when you're pregnant and you're mm-hmm. feeling your, your belly. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. That is not happening. <laughs> not going to happen. And I, I can tell that my tummy is getting bigger. And so then this one night, I'm like, fine. I wasn't a good quite a good cook yet though, right? Or was he? <laughs> you couldn't that was the reason why. Right. It, it was established yet. I ate so healthy when I was pregnant that I only gained like five pounds. Like mm-hmm. I just 
that is the healthiest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. So I was still on my health kick because I was nursing. And um, so I'm like, fine, I'll put my hands on my stomach because I want this urge to go away. I'm sick and tired of it. I just, you know, let's just be done with this silly mm -hmm. stage. And, but then there was just more things. And I had a friend who she and her husband were trying to have a baby crazy story he had actually had a vasectomy she talked him into getting it reversed <laughs> um and she wanted to meet up for coffee the next day and she called and said i'm sorry i'm going to be late and i was like well we can reschedule she's like no it's okay i'll feel better in a little bit and i was like oh my gosh i wonder if she's pregnant that would be amazing because they've been trying for like mm -hmm. a year and um i get there Sure enough, that's the case. And at that time, I already had a plan. I was going to go home and take a pregnancy test after I saw her because if she was pregnant, I did not want to spill the beans to her that, hey, I'm pregnant too mm -hmm. on accident. Mm -hmm. So we have coffee. It's great. I get to celebrate her. It's so exciting. And then I go home, take a pregnancy test. Sure enough. I mean, and it came up positive. Bam. <laughs> before I even set it down, it was positive. And I was only five weeks. So we're talking like... That's really uh, I mean, I knew two weeks before that mm -hmm. I was feeling that urge mm -hmm. of laying on my back, stuff like that. And then there was no denying my belly was getting bigger. I will show you guys a pictures <laughs> later if you want of me at five weeks mm -hmm. and I have a baby belly. And with wow. the first pregnancy, I didn't people were asking me five days before that baby was born here are you pregnant? Is that what I heard? And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing like 10 days, uh -huh. people. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> time to come down. Come on. <laughs> this one, no time to show it all. I mean, it just popped right out. Wow. So, yeah. So Surprise. You, <laughs> shocked. You now have gone through the stressors of adoption. You have a clan of five, including yourself. God comes back and says, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Twice. You now, if you are a family, you are a clan of seven. Sum up what that picture looks like now, looking back. What does your victory speech look like, if you were to write it? You had so many moments where you were high and low. You had moments where you were called to action, be still. For me, it's just... Um, there was a song at the time when we were going through adoption called God Bless the Broken Road that led mm -hmm. us straight to you. That was kind of a... We had a blog at the time, and that was kind of the theme... Love for it. for our blog, you know, and that's mm -hmm. kind of kind of where it's at, you know. The road feels broken when you're going through it, but when you look back, it's beautiful. You look back and you go, you know what? God, the road had its curves and its mm -hmm. twists, but it's God beautiful. was God was right there holding my hand to, to get me through it, mm -hmm. you know. And it's it's and we all go through whether it's a you know issue with uh, adoption or, or babies or other trials people deal with mm -hmm. it's a matter of you know letting go and listening and allowing right. god to guide and direct you you know 
through the difficult times because it's at your <clears throat> your worst moments when you need him the most, you mm -hmm. know. And are you listening? Because that's the times when you you really need to tune. <laughs> yeah. And and not turn your back on him. And if you do, he's his hands always right there, mm -hmm. ready to pick you up. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing is for me is <clears throat> give it to God, give it to God, and He will guide and direct. You know. And He has in our family. We're we're living proof of of the blessings that can come through it and uh, yeah in the moment it's a trial and it's difficult but on the end you come through victorious mm -hmm. and you see the blessings there's a lot of hurt that goes through you know <clears throat> blessings aren't easy <laughs> there's there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of pain there's a lot of things that go into blessings mm -hmm. and our family is a huge blessing and we're living proof that that uh, miracles can happen that's for sure absolutely and, uh, in a lot of ways and the going getting through the adoption process and then miracle babies you know mm -hmm. biological babies coming out of it and everybody's healthy and doing well so mm -hmm. we're blessed now speaking of that um i don't remember if you said yay or nay um you're pregnant for the first time officially and then the second time again was there a time period where you had to adjust to that reality? I'm like, okay, I feel like we can say we can announce to the world, I'm pregnant. We didn't wait very long with the second or? one to announce it. Um, well, okay, so <laughs> I got pregnant in February. Um, found out in March, and. But the thing is, is like I like to do April Fool's jokes. I try not to do them very much to Paul because he doesn't appreciate it. So I've already been thinking since February, I'm going to tell Paul that I'm pregnant as an April Fool's joke. That was going to be my joke. So How'd that go? <laughs> it did not go in my favor. Um, I jokes on you. Yeah. So I had I was trying to figure out the funniest way to do that. But because when we found out we were pregnant was coming up on April Fool's, I didn't want people to think it was a joke right. when we announced it. Right. <laughs> I guess we'll wait now. <laughs> the, with the first announcement, my mom wasn't in the room, and I don't know that I knew that, and so she missed it, and she felt left oh. out, understandably so. And so this time I said, look, I want to make sure my mom finds out first right she's going to be the first person right. we tell and it had to have been at the end of march because we went to pizza with her and we're chatting and i'm like well i got something to tell you and said um we're pregnant again and she goes april fools and i said no we're <laughs> not <laughs> we're not and she's like are you serious <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wanted to use it as an April Fool's joke, but it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier, um, with the first three beautiful babies, um, you, by the time four and five came, you pretty much had the first three nailed down. Like, you knew, like you mentioned the thermostat, those, the the older three had, you pretty much, they were established. You could tell. So now, flash forward, you have five girls. Um, you have a wide, you have a buffet of 
traits, <laughs> personalities. What was that like now that you have five coming into full circle, discovering all their little personalities, all their quirks and curiosities? And well, I'll tell you. You feel overwhelmed because you have five curls. The, um, I don't want there to be any kind of hidden or mis misrepresentative representation that the bonding process with adopt adoptive children is a long process. It's not something that you get the children and all of a sudden everybody's hunky-dory and, mm -hmm. and life goes on and it's rainbows and unicorns because it is not that way. Mm -hmm. These children have had a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. They've had abandonment. They've had a lot of things and there's there's trust things you got to build. They have walls built up. I mean, we had walls built up too. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. all those things that you it takes years and years and years of of work. But, you know, through it all it, it it takes a mentality of, and I had to share this with some some families who were considering adoption. I was like, look, if you go through adoption, you have to understand. You can't view this as as there's any kind of escape out of this. You mm -hmm. have to view this as these are your children because they are. Yep. There is no Absolutely. well. Hey, this isn't working out. Let's give hey, them back. Well, yeah. what am I gonna? No. He, Exactly. There are times when you go through hell. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Even with biological children, there's no guarantee that you're not going to have a hard time. Right. We went through uh, some really, really hard times with, with those kids. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult. And we had bonding, we've had bonding problems. We've had a lot of things we've had to work out. Mm -hmm. um, but none of us gave up. The kids, us, uh, we didn't give up, mm -hmm. and we've we've had we've had a lot of things t to work through. So I don't want there to be any like, oh, this is this is like eating ice cream. It's easy, yeah, you know. Right. It's not. Yeah. Right. You you know, life isn't easy. Throwing together kids that biologically are not the same as you, they process things differently. You know, their emotions are different mm -hmm. than us. You know, their culture is different. There's so many things that. I mean, you have to be willing to negotiate mm -hmm. relationships sometimes and understand where people are at. And and it's tough. And even today, we still work on, on bonding. It is, it is something that will be there the rest of our lives exactly. of, of working on that relationship. But for me, it's a, one of those, I'm in, I'm in it for life, mm -hmm. you know? And that's the mentality you have to have when you're going, you can't have... You can't have that escape clause because there is no escape mm -hmm. clause. Right. And if you go you into adoption with that mindset, mm -hmm. there's a good chance you're going to fail because you're going to go through hell. Yep. You're, and, and a lot of times it's going to be a temporary state and you're going to work through it. Yeah. And But you had to be willing to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just part of the work. I mean, they're your children. That's right. They deserve it. Mm -hmm. They deserve all the love you can give them, whether you're biological or adoptive, you make that commitment just like when God pointed at that 
That's right. Earth to me, I have a child for you. Mm-hmm. To me, those children from creation were established to be in this home. That's right. Whether they were where they were born or how they were born, it was a plan. I didn't have. Mm-hmm. I didn't make that plan. Mm-hmm. I certainly had no plan from the beginning that I was going to be going to Columbia and getting three beautiful that's children. Right. But God knew that. Yeah. You know, and and that's and he knew that's the struggles you it. would face along the way too, and gave you the strength to get that's through right. them, no matter how difficult. And that's it was. that's part of the hope you have to lay in that a God t- clearly directed this mm-hmm. path. He clearly is going to help us through. Yeah. But but again, we have to put the work in. Yeah. It is not a cakewalk. Yeah. Well, and also, that's things that our kids have struggled with. We do. One of our girls is good about telling us how she feels sometimes. Sometimes it's really hard for her, but she was really angry. She was really angry about all of this. She didn't want to hear our stories and testimonies about adoption because to her, it's a complete loss. It is not necessarily a blessing. They've lost everything. And by the grace of God, they have their biological sisters with them. Mm -hmm. So many kids don't. So to hear us say, we prayed and God answered our prayers, she would say, then why did I have to, how come I can't be with my biological family? You made me come here. Mm -hmm. And that is a legitimate emotion. And you have to, you know, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Adults make choices. And I'm I'm sorry that 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 they that that happened, and that this is how it is. We were trying to do our best, and you know, if things were different, we would so want for you to have that biological family, mm-hmm. but they're not, and we're trying to do our best. That's right. And there are certain circumstances in life where there is no good answer. It just Exactly. And that, that's the hardest part for anybody to wrap their brain around. Um, side note, on my part, um, when I was 10, um, my, my parents called me out in front of your parents. Mm-hmm. I don't know the conversation. You, you were never really allowed to hang out with the three younger me and you and your brother. Yeah. And I, I remember, like, I thought I was in trouble. And I think you came and got me, didn't you? Or did my mom? No, I think I did. And you came and got me and said, hey, uh, your mom and dad want to talk to you about something real quick. And I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. And I remember looking at you. Probably because thought I told on you. Yeah, you, <laughs> you were my enemy. Man. I don't want you Anyway, so we're watching He-Man again. <laughs> you, you came and got me, and I'm looking back at your brother and my brother, and I'm like, help. <laughs> I, I get put in front of, in what was back then, all four of my parents, so to speak, and then I was told, hey, by the way, this is not your real dad. Okay, explain that to me. I'm 10. Mm-hmm. He, in my memory from ages two, when my mom and who I thought was my dad got married, that's all I'd ever know. And is that a fair comparison to your older three? No. But there was a harsh reality that I grew up with. It's like, hmm. And then flash forward to just a few months ago. I mean, we, we, I met my bio dad. And he's not a dad. I'll make that clear. 
But my my half sister um, called me and she goes, by the way, so and so possibly is going to die. So I had to stop for a minute. Like, wow, I've already lost the only person I've known as my father is dead, and now I have to process possibly losing. Mm-hmm. So how how in the world do I figure that out? I'm an adult. I should be able to figure this out. But yet, looking at your situation, your older three have to process an entirely different reality. Mm-hmm. They're not in their home, their birth country. They're in mm-hmm. a foreign country. But the difference is they had two parents that said, I love you unconditionally. Sometimes... I guess what I'm trying to get it. Um, we all come to that moment where closure is what it is. It just is. And you take your family for what it is, what you have, and what it will be, and you just hold on to it. Because it can change. It can change. And you do, like, thinking about what you're talking about with your biological dad, you're not, I don't, when I hear you say that, what I'm thinking is you're having to let go of what could be. That maybe you still have hope for what could be, and now you're realizing that's not going to happen. I well, think even with the first death last year, he felt that way. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, we didn't yeah. live here and experience the things you did, so there's always that hope in your mind. Right. This person could change. Yeah. I believe that God can change anyone, no matter right. what happens, any situation. He is the miracle maker, mm-hmm. but you always held on to that little bit of hope and that someday that would happen. Mm-hmm. And when he was gone, he's like, there's no more hope that that will happen. And, and I guess the saving grace through both circumstances of fathers, um, neither, well, certainly one of them, um, I had zero relationship with. Mm-hmm. The second one, um, not so great. So I lost one completely. Wishing it could have been better. The second one, I'd cut ties 24 years ago. After I'd, I truly came to an understanding that, ooh, mom was right. Mm-hmm. Uncle was right. Aunt was right. Grandma mm-hmm. and grandpa were right. He was scum. So like you said, though, I guess there was always that fragment of hope where maybe it'll change. Maybe being on death's doorstep will, man, I, I need to go back and fix my mistakes. He was never in that place mm-hmm. to ask for that. And I think this brings up a good topic, too. Your your mom was always afraid that there was always that fear. I don't want to give you too much information. I feel like you have a right to know this information, but there's always that fear that no matter what we say, you're going to reach out to him. Do you guys face that still, too? Like, you have the, you, the names. You have the information. Do you worry about that with the girls? that they will want to reach out or do you feel comfortable with your relationship and knowing we could get through that together too if they ever do ask those questions we've i've always been very open with the girls as far as like i one thing i think the adoption agency was real good about helping us with is being honest is the best policy Mm -hmm, with your children building trust Mm -hmm. not hiding things for me, I'm like I, I'm not hiding things, but I, 
I do have information that I'm waiting for them to be old enough to process. There's a maturity level. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not going to be like, oh, you're, you're 16 years old. Well, here's all your information. Yeah. Go find it. Yeah. No, I'm waiting for them to be adults, and I can hand them the information, and they can process it, and they can do what they want with it. Mm -hmm. But no. whenever they've had, and really it comes down to, I'm waiting for them to ask the right questions, mm -hmm. and then I reveal what they they want, you right. know, right. and not under <coughs> ten so, years old. No. So yeah, I mean, I I I don't want to hurt their development, and you know those those kind of things, and and yeah, eventually all the paperwork I have is going to be in their hands, oh. you know, and I I would I'd have what a wonderful thing is as an adult if they could have an opportunity maybe to meet some. But who knows? I mean, we don't know what the circumstances mm -hmm. are. Um, clearly, th th things weren't right for them to be in the process they were. So I mm -hmm. don't want them to get wrapped up into anything that would right. that would hurt them. So that's why I guard it now. You mm -hmm. know, I, last thing I'd want to do is get them in in some kind of situation that would be detrimental to right. them. So I have to be mindful of those things now. So when they're adults, they can process that information and do what they want with it. Mm -hmm. Well, those so, are adult decisions. Yeah. Right? Even though that's their story, those are adult decisions. Those mm -hmm. aren't decisions that mm -hmm. our child can, like, maturely make. They can't understand mm -hmm. the consequences. Yeah, right. It's emotional at this right. point. Yeah, you can't. You know, they have to understand the full context of the consequence of opening that door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if they want to open it, that's their choice, that's but they need to be fully aware of the consequences mm -hmm. of opening yeah, the door. That is a very um, hard door. It's not a door you leave either. Mm -hmm. It's a door you leave open or shut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. the door is ripped off its hinges, mm -hmm. and then you're like, well, now what do I do? This? I can't close it. I can't prop it open. I can't leave it halfway in the middle. Is there a window that goes with this door? Yeah, well, that's, no why we, plan. that's why we went the process we did because we wanted a closed adoption mm -hmm. to help. We didn't want to have this fight and struggle through their, you know, through their childhood, mm -hmm. you know, and, and again, you know, when they get to the, the proper age and maturity, they can make the decision to, to, to search if they so desire. But, right. but for now, I mean, it's our, my responsibility to protect them mm -hmm. and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry for the dead air. <laughs> um, having the family that you have, um, I'm trying to craft this the right way. Uh, what level of appreciation for what you've gone through do you have? Like, has all of this shaped? You're, you're gonna let me struggle, aren't you? <laughs> uh, you? You watched me make a mistake earlier. Does that mean like you? You guys have literally, as you said, been through hell and back. Um, would you have gone through all of that again? That same hell, knowing what you you know what I'm saying? Is that track right? It, it was undoubtedly hard and it will continue to be hard uh, uh, first I mean I would first. do it again the years were very hard the years have only <laughs> um, 
been a little bit easier just the last couple of years, to be honest. And I, I hate to say that because I don't want people to be afraid, but like Paul said, you've got to put the work in, and mm -hmm. you don't know when that is going to ease up. Yep. You don't know when you're going to get a break. But um, would I do it again? Yes, I would. Would I tell everybody they should do it? Absolutely not. You cannot go into it thinking it's a hunky-dory, everybody mm -hmm. loves everybody, because they don't. They don't. You're all exactly. strangers with your own story, and you're trying to make the American family out of it, mm -hmm. and it doesn't look like the American family. Mm -hmm. And even to people on the outside, like inside, it cannot feel or look like the American family, but especially when you're outside, the kids are probably aware that I don't look like the other families. To me, right. I don't notice now. Right. But the kids might still. Mm hmm And they're going to constantly have that reminder. Has there, um, since you mentioned that, um, has that come up between older three, younger two? There's a, so, um, to give people perspective, there is a large gap in age in our kids. Um, so our older ones are all older teenagers, 16 and older, and our younger kids are eight and under. Mm -hmm. So there's a very large gap. So the little kids, they don't, they are just now processing what does it mean to be adopted? Mm -hmm. And they, they haven't even asked why or anything like that because they just haven't thought that far ahead. These have always been their sisters. Yep. Are you worried about a conversation? You have to come from the younger two. I'm worried that they lack the maturity to be sensitive in the questions they ask. Because we have had that a couple of times and mm -hmm. had to say, you don't talk like that or you don't ask a question mm -hmm. like that and here's why. Yeah. And it's even, just lack of maturity. Even in our, our own um, family situation, We've had to remind our two girls, it's like, look, family is family. There's no different. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. we may all be different in our own rights and re respective things, but in the end, we live under one roof. We're all one family. That's right. There is no, and as much as I encouraged, have encouraged our, all five of our kids to go out and be their own person, and you're going to bring back to the table different perspectives. Like Josh moved out of state to take care of his dad. Became he was very sh narrow focused in his own life, and anxiety then anxiety ridden. He had to go take care of a dad that could have died from stage three or four cancer. So he became like, I don't want a girlfriend. It's too much drama. No, I'm just I need you guys to take me. Now it's like. He has his license, he has a job, he has his own car. So it's very quickly he's becoming his own person. And now he's realized what family is. And he's like, I asked him, I said, hey, if you ever think about moving home, home being the operative word, because that's where family should be. Did you guys ever have issues? I know we did, and for my own reasons, but did you guys ever have issues with discipline? disciplining differently or feeling guilty so like in our case with my older three 
I was the cause of a, a divorce that went wrong because of some mistakes that we made. So when they were back in our home, I felt like the two that were with us all the time, it was naturally, it was natu naturally <laughs> easy to discipline them. It came naturally to me. I almost was afraid to discipline the other ones in some ways because I was trying to make up for things that they would have been through or afraid to be too hard on them because of what they've been through. Almost like you were protecting them more than, does that make sense? Did you ever face that at all or was it just? Learning how to discipline was a, was a challenge. You know, you know, from an outsider's point of view, sometimes you see unruly kids and you're like, man, why don't they beat that kid? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the spanking for yeah. that kid, yeah. you know? And, and it, you know what? Some kids, no matter how mm -hmm. many spankings you give them, Mm -hmm. It don't matter. Oh, <laughs> are you laughing because the two that you're and talking like, about are yours? <laughs> <laughs> you have to one word genetics, <laughs> and just you have to learn. You have to learn that every child is different. Yep. Things work for one that don't work for the Strategy. other. Right, and well. that uh, that's the same thing with discipline. I mean, it's it's difficult I mean mm -hmm. and so yeah go we ahead. try to be really consistent and and cognizant but the thing is with the older ones like I said I felt like we expected more of them than what they were what kids that age would typically be able to do true yeah and um, so that kind of like came came across as them not being up to par because we hadn't raised them from birth, you know, and all we have is this little bit of paperwork yeah. on them to tell us anything, mm -hmm. and it doesn't tell you the whole story. So um, I will tell you one thing that worked for all of the older kids, and now that my younger kids are in elementary school, I can use this, <laughs> is writing sentences. They all hate that. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh man, you lay down some sentences and <laughs> you will get some attitude, but you know what they don't want to do it mm -hmm. and yeah so i think that's one we'll pull out of our hat again soon yeah yeah but being being able to adapt is a big deal you know yeah. and it comes with especially in adoption because you you have to be willing to adapt because mm -hmm. you don't know what you got they don't know us that we don't know them mm -hmm. you know you have to it's you a learning feel process that it is you, you got to be willing, to, you have to be willing to change. It's mm -hmm. not a my way or the highway. It does yep. not work that way. That's right. We've sat down with our kids, I don't know how many times, yeah. and said, this is not, you know, we were trying to do the best we could. We were trying to do things differently than our parents, and we feel like we're kind of screwing up right now because none of us are happy right now. We've sat them down and said, there are certain things that we cannot bend on because we are here to protect you. We are your parents. We are not your best friends. However, I honestly wanted to know how they feel. You know, we're all a part of this family and we all have to make it work. And I don't know how many times they get that glazed over dad look because yeah. dad's still talking an hour later and they're like, please. But Just now that they're dad. becoming adults, they're thankful for that time. They're like, I remember those conversations and that you put us first our needs and our wants and said hey we're willing to listen to you or you're willing to admit that Just you don't, don't know everything. Do the talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay. Um, can I share some other things? I don't know if yes. there's more questions, but there's really a huge part of this that's missing. And it's just because you don't know to ask the question is all. Uh -oh. um, so I know Paul shared his testimony of starting the adoption process. Mm -hmm. That was never a problem for me. Being in the process and waiting so long was very difficult. And I, I don't want to say it was harder on me, but because of also my diagnosis, there's physical things that play into that. But mm -hmm. So you asked about when we switched lists. You do not have to include this in your podcast, but I want you guys to hear this from me and from us because it's such a big part of this family that you may not have gotten to hear. Um, so we had been waiting three years for a baby. Rolls around, it's about, I think it's between Thanksgiving and Christmas of that third year, and we're already down. I'd been to the doctor just, you know, like because things aren't normal, so they find out I'm developing some um, ovarian cysts, which I don't know that I've ever had. If I have, then they just dissolve or they take mm -hmm. care of themselves or whatever. And he says, this one's growing and you're probably gonna have some pain and we'll give you until February, but by then it's probably gonna be the size of like an orange and you're gonna mm -hmm. feel it and you're gonna be in pain and we're gonna need to take it out. And we wanna do that before it bursts because that's gonna be even more painful than um, just removing it. Mm -hmm. And I've never had that before. So I'm already down because no children. I know I'm gonna face all the family again at the holiday. Um, there's that pressure to be so happy around the holidays, but we didn't, we said, we're not gonna decorate this year. I cannot hang up stockings again. Mm -hmm. I don't feel it. I think we had covered up the baby furniture by that point, probably for quite a while because it was getting dusty. We mm -hmm. had closed the door. We were shutting down. Not because we didn't think we weren't gonna see this through, but because there was no end in sight. Mm -hmm. And we are sitting in a Hardee's, and I get a phone call from a family member, and I'm saying, hey, what are we doing for Christmas? And my family, who lives 20 minutes from us, says, I don't think we're gonna be able to get together for Christmas this year because we're really busy and I've never been around not I'm sorry I've never not been around my family for Christmas and you're telling me you can't make time to celebrate Christmas you have five kids and we're not mm -hmm. getting together for Christmas I'm not important enough for you to make time and I know that's not what they meant I know that's 100% how I took it and I cried in that Hardee's like mm -hmm. I couldn't do it anymore my tank was empty there was nothing left there was not even hope there was direction we felt like but there wasn't hope. Mm -hmm. And that's when we had this conversation of, let's stop talking about this adoption because it just hurts. Let's just not talk about it. Let's tell people we don't want to talk about it. Um, 
and at the time I felt like I was losing a child and I only say like at the time being on this side of having children it would be different right but I'd never felt a loss like right. that before and so in my mind I was losing a child yeah and there was no hope there and repeatedly as the yeah. months went on it's yeah like a constant loss yeah and also a constant reminder because my friends are having babies mm -hmm. and even one of my friends moms asked me to throw a baby shower for my friend and I was like I don't think I can do that you know the situation we're in I don't think I can do that I had to tell her no so there's just all these things things and on top of it medical things now I'm facing surgery and um, so Paul and I decided oh I I went and talked to my boss because also that's right at the same time mm -hmm. somebody at work had said something inappropriate and I cannot remember what it was but it it was the last straw and I had to let my boss know I can't do this mm -hmm. I need you to step in because this is not right and also um, my boss is the same religion and some of the other people there were too and he offered to do a special prayer for me and at that point I was like that's fine you know I'm just trying to not feel anything mm -hmm. but if you would like to do that I will accept that and so he and another guy offered a special prayer for me, laid their hands on my head, and offered a special prayer, and um, just knowing kind of that they were in my corner was helpful, but also they'd been clued into, look, this is how, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. And he had said, hey, go home and read these scriptures and fast about them, and um, outline them it was Hebrews chapter 11 and I'm like okay and in my head I was thinking yeah I might do that but that again requires me to continue in this process and I don't want to do that right. so I went home and I told Paul about it and um, we had asked for prayers at church for the medical side of things for me because I didn't I didn't want to have surgery so do you want to share your yeah, I part of that. Me to pick it up. Yeah, you pick <laughs> it up and then go back. So she came home and told me what was going on, and uh, she told me about Hebrews chapter eleven, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So that was on a Friday. Well, Saturday morning comes along, and five o'clock in the morning, I was awoken, <laughs> and. Uh, the Lord impressed upon my mind to get out of bed, which I did, and he, uh, he told me that if we would study Hebrews chapter 11, which is if you go by faith, this person did this, by faith, this person did this, by, mm -hmm. by faith. So it's all about faith and, and how the Lord used their faith to accomplish something. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. And I was told that if, if we would study, pray, and fast about that, that she would be healed. And she wouldn't have to have a surgery. <clears throat> and so 
I never wake up at five o'clock in the morning. It does not happen for me. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Mm -hmm. So I I was up at five in the morning on my knees at the side of the bed with my scriptures open. And it said, by faith, Moses did this. I mean, there's a whole list of them. Mm -hmm. And so I went through and documented and found each story that that went. So if you go in there, it says it's a good faith project. If you ever need a faith project, go into Hebrews chapter 11 and find each story that by faith the Lord, you know, they did something, mm -hmm. you know. There's probably around 20 of them in that one chapter. And so I went in there and I just started going through each one, finding the story, reading the story. And, and so by this time, Chris woke up eventually and was like, I'm not a morning person either. What are you doing? <laughs> out of bed. I don't know. It was probably seven in the morning by this point. I don't know. And I look up at her and I'm like, I've been up for a while. The Lord kind of woke me up, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Okay. So, and I told her what happened and she's like, whoa, okay. So we did it. We did this faith challenge. We stepped out in faith and, and. And so doing, uh, she was healed. The cyst went away. She was healed of that cyst. She did not have to have that surgery. Before she was scheduled to have the surgery, she did had another scan, and it was completely gone. Was completely gone. Completely gone. So, so it was. A, it's a one of those another one of those faith things. Mm -hmm. with the board is there a watching. Huge blessing. But wow. how it so. ties in to the kids is because my tank was empty, but I knew God was telling us to keep going I for months had had this mental picture of and I was able to tell Paul this um, eventually that I was standing at the edge of a cliff like just a very deep chasm and you know so deep that it's dark at the bottom and it's it's a wide chasm and it's jagged and nasty down there you know just with rocks and stuff if you were to fall you would mm -hmm. definitely die you would be impaled and if you weren't impaled it's so deep mm -hmm. that you just couldn't survive and but on the other side of this very wide chasm is jesus christ looking at me and calling me to step out take a step i'm here i'm gonna see you through this you're not gonna fall and i felt like i was teetering on the edge of falling into that chasm and i knew that it was despair and that i couldn't get out I, it would be more difficult to get out of that than to to wait and trust and continue to have faith and there are so many times I was afraid I was going to fall. And then, you know, that was scary to me because how do you get out of that? You can't mm -hmm. see what's mm -hmm. across the way. And you just have to trust. Literally, Jesus was there saying, I'm here. Please, please don't fall. Please don't let yourself fall. I see you're leaning. Please don't fall. Please just keep your eye on me. I'm not, if you keep your eye on me, you won't fall. I know you see what's down there and it's bad. Just keep looking at me and we'll get you through this. And I needed that that Christmas. I needed somebody to, to believe that we could get through it. Um. 
So that was my strength, was the, the testimony of being healed of the cyst was really major, major, major. It was the bolster I needed to get myself upright again and prevent falling into that despair. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that we decided to switch lists, but the fact that Jesus was patient and never took his eye off
um, there's more to come. Mm -hmm. I have, I have <laughs> another child for you. And um, that was my child in that dream, and I knew it. Mm -hmm. But it never was going to, you know, I didn't see any way that it could be, but it was. And you know how God is eternal, and so he doesn't, he works outside of time. So that's why yep. I had that. You know, it was real. Anyway, but I, if I can say it just, I'm so sorry. There's so much about this. Something else. Take as much time as you want. Okay. <laughs> so we have shared this our... This is your story. Okay. Our adoption testimonies and story multiple times. And um, I never knew how our girls really felt about it. One of them told me, I wish you wouldn't share that. Did I say that already? And I said, well, why? And she was in fourth grade at the time, and she said, my best friend didn't know I was adopted. And I was like, what? Hmm. You're in the, you guys are in the fourth grade. Your best friend can't tell that you're adopted. I don't, like, I blew my mind, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so I was like, well, I guess, you know, if it gets her upset, then I guess I won't share it. So then we kind of switched to sharing the testimony about, um, so a few times I've shared the testimony Paul happened to share it this particular night at church mm -hmm. about getting pregnant with um, the fourth and fifth and somebody came up to him afterwards and said I don't think that you should share that because it makes your other girls feel bad and I could tell by the looks on their face that they feel bad so now here I am I can't share about God bringing three kids into my life and now I can't share about him bringing in mm -hmm. I'm just saying you let people tell their story that's right and sometimes it 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 makes people sad yeah or whatever but you don't tell me that I shouldn't be sharing it that's right because that's not right to do that's that right. it would be wrong of me to not share it I that's feel right like. There's multiple chapters to the story. You have to see the whole picture. Yeah. That's right. You know? yeah. <coughs> it's like the and rainbow. Each, <laughs> each chapter of that story could help someone else. And yeah. for you to hold that back because of what other people think or say, you're doing yourself a disservice, your kids a disservice. Yeah. I mean... Well, that's one of the big things for me that I've... You asked about would I do it again, you know, and uh, that's one thing that I love about this journey. Not only, not only would I do it again, but... I, I love sharing about it. Mm -hmm. I love helping other people who are struggling or are considering and you know that process and helping them see reality, That's you right. know. And what is the reality That's of right. the situation because you know, people need to know realistically what you're getting into mm -hmm. when you get into this stuff and it's wonderful. It's awesome. It's hard. It's it, it, if you're not strong, it will literally tear you apart. Mm -hmm. And you have to be strong. <laughs> and please do it, because it's awesome. Yep. But be strong. Be strong. Yep. be strong. What so. do you think is the main, obviously God would be first and foremost, but how do you think, what set you two apart to have made it through this and be who you are today because of it? I would say big thing is our commitment to each other you know mm -hmm. in that uh, I I don't see our relationship as temporary or something that can break mm -hmm. you know I see it as something that I've you know 
like like anything it, you have hard times in your relationship mm -hmm. but again I don't have it in my mind that I have the opportunity to turn away from her mm -hmm. you know it's stuff you've got to work through there's you know and of course everybody's different if you're in an abusive relationship or uh, all, all those kind of things that's different that's not what we've been through mm -hmm. we've had a great relationship together communication is so important yeah. and don't schedule it communication <laughs> You know, and it's truly a gift between Christine and I because we do communicate really well together. Yeah. And that's what made has made our relationship really work well mm -hmm. is, you know, the nights we're up till 2 or 3 in the morning just trying to work through things, mm -hmm. you know. And the hard work. Work through the hard stuff. And being willing to have the hard conversations mm -hmm. and the tears and the, you know, the fits and you're angry and you're still willing to sit down together and work it out. You mm -hmm. have to do it. Even after ten o'clock at night. Ten thirty. Telling you. Ten forty-five. Yep. So <laughs> your windows getting closed. But yeah, it's you can't give up. I mean, there's there can't be a give up in you. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's yeah. a on the kids or each other. That's right. For people who don't have a spouse or whatever, we have seen single parents go through it, and they boy they fight for the same. They fight mm -hmm. for their family. Yep. They yep. do not give up. Yeah. And having that support, knowing, oh my gosh, I know all these other families, you need to, I think for me, I needed to have that see other families go through the same process. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same trials we do. We don't even talk about it. But I know it's not all hunky-dory, I'm sure. Because yep. they're yep. not shouting it from the rooftops that it is. But that's, that's true. Okay. We that's see them true. make it, they see us make it, and it makes us all stronger. Mm -hmm. And do it together. One of the saddest parts that I saw, I think, going through through the adaption process was seeing a family that you could tell had the wrong mm -hmm. expectations going into the process. Mm -hmm. They went through, they got their children, they came home, and every time we saw them, because we used to get together with Colombian groups, I mean, they had the, the deer in the headlight look, and you know, like, where's the exit, yep. you know? Yep. And, and I hated seeing that. It's like... They didn't come in with the right perspective, the mm -hmm. right attitude. You know, you you have to have a realistic perspective of adoption. Otherwise, you're you're gonna be in a very difficult mm -hmm. situation, and you're, it's gonna be hard to be successful. Absolutely. So that's that's important. So. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that we haven't already talked about that you guys want to share? Is there any advice that you would give other people? Is there any... Anything you want this message to be about that you feel needs to be said? Just, I mean, not that... <coughs> for me, excuse me. Uh, for me, it's just... What I've already stated, you know, just going into this, going into the process realistically, mm -hmm. you know, and not setting up false expectations for yourself or for your children, you know, and honesty, communication, all those key things that you need to have in place, stability in your own lives. If you're not, if you're not stable, how are you going to expect children to come in and be mm -hmm. stable? Don't have them be in a, in a, a situation where you're very unstable. And, and I'm not, I mean, everybody, we, 
I mean, if you look back in our lives, we had... We didn't know what we were doing. No, but I... We had a good support. But we had... But I'm talking more about commitments, you know, and not setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, seek truth. (laughs) Yep. So... And love unconditionally, no matter how hard it is. (laughs) Be willing to put the work in. It's not easy. That's really important. on the record um, just the relationship with you guys gives us a lot of hope always hoping that things would work out between us but not knowing how to how to get there like I don't we didn't know mm-hmm. we didn't even really fully understand what went wrong let alone how then how, how to fix, fix it. it if you don't even know what's wrong mm-hmm gives me a lot of hope still if trials come up that mm-hmm. look time it sucks to lose 20 years mm-hmm. but if it gets you to where you can step into a good place mm-hmm. it's worth it to keep thinking about it and trying to figure it out yeah yeah there's only one word really that sums that up in its family i mean Every single one of us is different in our own right, or per, you know, who we are. Like, I like certain things that you don't like, and so on and so forth. But when you, you think about the, the family pie as a whole, it's beautiful. Because it's our individuality that brings so much to the table, so many different perspectives. I, in this, we're going on two hours and 20 minutes now with this podcast and um, minus my faux pas that I made earlier <laughs> um, I learned a lot and I remember in 2009 when I met your, your oldest three I knew you guys had something special now do I wish that things were were different then unlike they are now yes but your family had to grow our family had to grow our family had to grow their beginning was almost our ending during that same time so and we've all been through how we've all torn hair out and we've said things that shouldn't have been said we've had conversations that went past 10 (laughs) 30 God forbid that, you know, be quick, but it's, it's, you gotta do the book work to do the lip work, and, um, I'm thankful for where we're at, at this point in our lives, and do I wish we could go back and rewind time? Sure. But. Maybe I'd be different now, and I don't. I don't want to be different. I want to be. I do. I want to be better, in a, in a better way. But I want to celebrate the family we have now, because hard times are in our future as we get older. Not necessarily easier times. And I, I stare at that every day in the mirror. You know, we all know humanity is short, and that's the hard part because that means family has a, a finite meaning 
unlike the infinite meaning we wish it would have. But anyways, um, thank you for sharing, setting the record straight. We love sharing our stories, so glad for the opportunity. So. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your testimony is speaking to us and to me in ways that I didn't expect either. And it has nothing to do with adoption. <laughs> and I can really tell, I come looking at him saying some of this stuff and I'm like, it, it's, why you, it's why you wanted to do this. He has had it on his heart that we need to talk to Paul and Chris. And it's probably mm -hmm. for reasons that God knows. It's not just the other people out there too, but it's also us. So we we all need we all need and have, or will have that be still moment. And yep. we've had a lot of those lately. I, yeah. <laughs> it, it's an everyday thing. It's yep. like if you would just be quiet, mm -hmm. you hear the beautifulness sounds all around you. Yep. So thank you guys for sharing. No problem. Um, I have not meant to make this hard for you guys by some of the questions. I, there's there's a few questions I didn't ask. I'm like, no, you're going to mess that one up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that one. But, you know, in all seriousness, um, this has been a good lesson and a good story, good testimony on family, faith, believing in the impossible, and now what has become possible and all of our children at some point are going to grow up go their own ways have their own families and i want us all to love every second of it because we are a family i agree it's taken too long yeah so sadie yes are we signing off we are this is stephen st Clair signing off from the crafted quill podcast sadie k frazier from the daily escape podcast See you on the flip side. Peace out.